some days I'm like on top of the world. I'm like, I got this. I'm solving world problems. And then the next day I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> I'm just going to ignore that the world exists right now. All right. Welcome to the Career Therapy Podcast. Today we have Leah James joining us. And Leah, I'm just going to kick it off by reading your LinkedIn profile headline and then allowing you to introduce yourself to the career therapy community. So your LinkedIn profile headline says, she, her, instructional design and facilitation, diversity and inclusion and storyteller. But we know that the headline doesn't say everything. So Leah, tell us about yourself. Oh, it says everything. I took very long to craft <laughs> that. No, I'm kidding. Um, it doesn't ever say any everything. Um, so I have a really hard time claiming a title. Um, I, I'm Leah James, as you said, but I do a lot of things. I work with companies and individuals on elevating their careers, essentially. Um, companies on that side, I help companies think about how they hire and who they hire and what position they put them into to make sure everyone gets along. Um, I know we all know these companies that hire really well, and then they put people in positions that are not great. So um, you lose productivity and happiness and morale in teams. So I just make sure that people are in the right roles, essentially. And then on the people side, um, I work with people anywhere from just starting their career up through their third career and helping them figure out what they want to do with their time and where they want to spend it and how they invest their skills. So... Yes, it's hard to say what I do, but the outcomes are inclusion. Um, they are a lot of opportunities for people who often get left out of the workforce and um, more happiness in careers, which is always good. I love it. And so you talk a lot about being on the hiring side and helping folks understand that side of the business. And so I'm, I'm really curious. You said you make sure that you get the right people in the right roles. And I think that's a really tricky thing for companies to get right. And it's so cool that you're out there helping those folks. Um, and it's something that's really hard for job seekers to understand. What are some of the things that, you know, as a job seeker who's sort of in my own world, not really knowing what's happening behind the curtain, uh, what are some of the things, some of the insights that you've learned that you would want to share with the job seeker to really understand the hiring side of things and what they're looking for? So I think it's hard because to your point, like we, we are, when we're job seekers, we're just thinking about, I just want that job or like, it sounds really good. Or, um, I don't know, they just get fixated on a role on an opportunity and it's understandable, but behind the scenes, you're looking at so many different things. You're looking at, um, the initial need because companies don't usually hire until they needed the person five days ago. Yep. Um, so you have this like really important need that you need filled immediately. Um, so you have a gap in skills for something or a gap in productivity. And so you're thinking about that. Um, sometimes you're thinking about that long-term investment and how they're going to evolve over time. And then they're thinking about how the person fits into the team. Um, what's challenging is, is if you lost someone that was really amazing in that role, then you're looking for even more of a unicorn than you had before. Um, and it's understandable, right? Like this person did all the things and they probably did more than just their job entailed. And how do you really replace that? So um, I don't know if that really answers your question, but I think those are some psychological things that a candidate is up against. Um, but past that, I mean, I think the other thing is that it's rarely personal. 
Mm -hmm. um, in the sense that a company isn't rejecting you because you sucked. They're not rejecting you because they hated you or um, you weren't good enough, right? Like there might've been someone else that just had a different skill set that was a little bit more right. Or they might be choosing between some really great candidates and someone else just had a little bit something different. So um, remembering that it's not personal about you and oftentimes it reflects them, not you. Yeah, that's such a big one, the, the not taking things personally. Um, in, I think, our second podcast uh, with Corey Davis, we talked about that too, about how the job search is one of the purest forms of a business transaction. It's they have a problem, you have a solution, yes. we fill it and they pay you and that's it. Yep. And yeah. a lot of times we get so caught up thinking about it, it's like our life, our identity, right? We mm -hmm. we kind of use our title. I, I have a, a quote that I'm going to be, that, that came up in a, in a conversation recently, um, that we need to separate our identity from our job title. And oh. so I'm kind of, yeah. And so when you're working with people, how do you see that show up? And what do you, what do you often tell them? Oh, I mean, I think the biggest thing that I, I try to help them understand is that if you can consider yourself like a business when you're job seeking, like as a freelancer would or a independent consultant or contractor or anything like that, um, it's probably the best thing you can do for yourself because it allows you to do exactly what you're saying, separate yourself from the job title, separate yourself from the failure. Um, and to remember that one, it is a transaction, right? You're trading skills for, for pay. Um, you have something that they want, they have something that you want, and you're exchanging it. And that's the same with negotiation too. Um, but the other part to that is that if it doesn't work, if this was not the right fit, it, it, it's okay. Like that means there's a different, better fit. And I think that's the other hard thing is because we're not, I feel like we're not really taught to accept rejection. Um, so much, and we focus so much on winning. We focus so much on this, um, success model that any sort of rejection feels like failure and any failure means like we're not worthy mm. and and it, i get it and i can empathize with it but it's also sad because um i let me give an example let me sure. give an example because i feel like that might go better so i had a student um that was um just meeting like constant rejection. And she was, I mean, just erect by it. She was like, am I just like, not good enough? Do I just not belong in this industry? And what I had to keep helping her understand was one, she was, she was being authentically herself. And her being authentically herself meant that she was more likely to find the right company if she could hold out for it, right? Like if she can continue to show herself as she is, she will find the place that her skills matter and where her um, her like life things matter too, because she was an activist and she cared a lot about other things in the world. And if those other companies that were rejecting her didn't care about those things, she actually was succeeding and not getting those jobs, right? Like she wouldn't have been happy there. She wouldn't have lasted there if she took those jobs. So wouldn't you rather want to know now and keep finding, keep looking for that company that is the right fit that does care about things you care about that do want to make um, the impact statements or the impact um, movements that you also want to make in your life and stand for. And it's hard, I think, to see it in the moment, but later down the road, you do eventually see it. So that's how I work with, with people on that. Um, but it's, it's, I get it. 
when you're in it, you just want a job. Yeah, it's so true. And I think uh, yesterday, um, I love what you said here about, you know, think of yourself as a freelancer or a contractor or a business or whatever the thing is that you need to think about yourself as so that you're on an even playing field with companies rather mm -hmm. than a power dynamic. When you're a company going to talk to another company, you're talking about working together to solve a problem. When you're a job seeker reaching out to a company, you're talking about, hey, can you give me something to do because I've got nothing happening over here. And oh, that dynamic is so different. Yeah, I also see it as like um, there's that imbalance where it's almost like an authority or a parent, mm -hmm. right? Like you're looking to them like I have nothing to offer. And it's interesting, even people that are senior level professionals, who maybe lack a little bit of uh, self-confidence. Um, they're really good at what they do. They're very talented, but they maybe don't fully understand their full value or where they stand up in the, in the workforce. Um, they struggle with it in the same way where I feel like, well, I don't have anything to really negotiate on. I mean, I know my skills are good, but they still have the buying power. It's like, but you actually do too. Um, and, and that's, I think, why I take that approach, which is, you, you are doing a trade with them. They are paying you what they value your skills at. You are asking for what you value your skills at. And if you can look at that every time you go talk to a company, you, you have a lot to stand on. And you're just, you're, even if you're not negotiating compensation, you're negotiating a stance within the company. Exactly. And, and like your role. Yeah, I was just working with someone and, you know, we're all in this huge quarantine lockdown thing and everyone you know there's there's two ways to respond to it right there's well no one's hiring right now so why even try the whole holiday model right no one hires mm -hmm. during new year's and then there's the well i just have to find a new way to do this same thing and yeah. i talked with someone yesterday and and they got two offers yesterday and That's when awesome. when you see that you're like well, why I asked him, I said, well, why do you think you got an offer versus all the other people that I'm working with? And he goes, well, you know, four months ago, you told me that I need to start thinking about the value I provide rather than what I do. And when I started doing that and talking to people, it totally changed the conversation. And now, you know, he got to get the one offer, use it to get an increase in the other offer, and then actually flipped and went with the, the one that was originally paying less. And so these things do pay off. They do work knowing yeah. what value you provide works. And so I'm curious for you, you mentioned being, you know, that idea of we're not worthy and we don't belong and we have to lean into our authenticity to find the thing mm -hmm. that we do belong at, right? Because so many people are like, well, fake it till you make it. But sometimes fake it till you make it ends up being in a job where you're faking it every day and you really aren't going to make it. And so I'm kind of curious, how do you help people know what their, find what their value is or understand their skills and, and really put that into practice? Yeah. I mean, that's a hard one um, because we are told for, we've been told for so long, fake it until you make it. Um, and then you're like pushed to be this authentic self where people are like, but what does that actually mean? Is it just full of buzzwords, right? Like how authentic is authentic? Mm -hmm. um, I think when I work with people, one of the, the most important things that I do is I help them by talking through like, what are their interests outside of work, right? Like we, we change the subject completely and we don't talk about work. Um, one of my uh, students that I worked with back in 2013, I think it was 2014. I think it's 2014. Um, I had someone who had gone through a technical boot camp and he was becoming a software developer. 
and he was super goofy. Um, he was determined to prove me wrong. And, um, I sat down with him and, I, and he was like, look, you're not going to get me a job in something that I love. I'm just going to be a software developer and it's fine. I like it enough. Um, but I'm going to really look forward to my weekends. And I was like, that's cool. Everyone can do work differently. You don't have to be tied to your work, but tell me more about what you do on the weekends. Like what's so cool about your weekend? That's not in a computer. And so we got talking and he loves fishing. He loves deep sea fishing. And so we talked all about it. I don't know anything about fishing. I asked a ton of questions. And uh, the more we talked, the more I was like, huh, interesting. So these tools that you use in deep sea fishing, like tell me more about them. And so he's telling me all about them and their gadgets and they have all this cool like um, technology. I couldn't even tell you what it was because it's 2014 and I just don't remember. Um, but he's telling me all these things. And eventually I go, so, so uh, who do you think builds those tools? Like, who, who actually makes them work and like detect these fish that you're finding? And he was like, oh, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> yes. So he ended, yeah, he ended up actually going to working for a company that works in the deep sea fishing world, um, which is incredible, right? And not everyone's story is going to play out like that. It's just one of my favorite stories to tell. But it is really important for for me when I'm working with folks at any stage in their career to understand what makes them tick and what brings them joy and what makes them feel like they have value in general, in life, what makes them feel valuable. Because that oftentimes then transfers over to their team environment, their leadership skills, their communication skills, their um, feelings of, of um, satisfaction when they're at work and when they're at home, because that's the other thing. You don't want it to bleed into home if it's negative energy and that happens all the time. And then that impacts relationships and family dynamics and all of the things trickle effect. So long story short, when thinking about how to help people see their value, it's understanding all of those other like feelings inside and helping them focus on that to understand then like, where those feelings coming from, they're usually tied to skills. Mm. They're usually tied to like how they work and like where they go through a process. And then when they learn that they can talk about those things in a job interview or in a negotiation or in a promotion opportunity, it changes everything. And that is authenticity. Like that's real authenticity. Um, so I, I guess that's what I do. I love that. Yeah. And that, and that really does change the dynamic of how you network, of how you interview. Um, one of the phrases that's in the email template I tell people to use while networking is, uh, I came across your profile and, and am excited to learn more about what you do. And I give that to people and they're like, yeah, but I'm not excited to learn about what they do. And I'm like, really? That's the approach. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, also, first of all, fine. Don't talk to them. There's 10,000 people you could reach out to. And second, how do you know? How do you right. know you're not excited about this person? You have not yet met them. I think so often, oh, I think we're a little frozen. I'll give it a second to see if we catch up. Sorry if it is. Hey there, we froze a second. Okay. All no right. worries. Right I'll cut it. I'll, yeah, I'll cut it out. Um, okay. So often people are trying to determine whether or not they this is a good company or this is a good fit or this is a good person. Yeah. They spend hours and hours wondering rather than just going and doing it and seeing. There are tons of people I've met who I'm like, 
I'll never talk to that person again the rest of my life and it's perfectly fine. But then you meet that one person who nerds out the way you nerd out and suddenly Mm -hmm. you're keeping in touch for five years like us, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, so, okay. I think you, I think you and I um, coach similarly, which is um, I tell them not to job search, which sounds counterintuitive. I tell them to make friends always just make friends. And that's another level of authenticity, right? If you go in curious about a person and what they do and um, how they got to where they are and why they're doing a thing, that will make for a much better conversation um, than, than like being anxious about whether or not they're going to hire you or tell you how to get a job or tell you who to talk to. Um, but I think for a lot of people, that's scary. I guess mm-hmm. I say that because I know it's scary, but I don't really understand it because I think it's a lot less intimidating to go talk to someone than to apply and have no idea what happened on the other end. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why I think that's so much simpler, but yeah. And, and I think the other thing is, is though people that can allow themselves to be interested in the other person is also someone who's willing to be vulnerable. Mm. And I think, think that when, when you do that, people put up those blockers because they're not willing to be blocker or they're not willing to be vulnerable because that could be an, an interruption in their ability to scale their career. Um, because then they look like a fraud or someone will figure out that they don't really know what they're talking about, or they don't actually have all this experience that they're saying they have on their, their resume when really they probably do. It's just imposter syndrome, as you know, comes up. So yeah, I don't, I don't know really where I'm going with that other than to say, like, I, I think I love that line. And I think that line is, is so important. And if someone's not excited to talk to that person, then they probably should be talk, trying to find someone else to talk to that they are excited about. Exactly. And, and really what you're getting at here, and I think it's not so much, I almost, I'm not sure if it's fear. I'm not sure what it is either. Because you, you said, I'm not sure why it's easier for people to just apply yeah. online and fake it than to actually go be authentic with people. And I think um, the most interesting way I've seen that show up is when you get to any interview, they're likely going to ask you the question, why do you want to work here? Right. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, when I sit down with anyone and, and talk about their job search, I say, well, what companies are you interested in? Well, you know, we ask that question, but of course the companies are always the same. I want to work at Google or Facebook or wherever, right? And I go, well, why Google? And I actually had someone um, who said they really wanted to work at Amazon, which is something you hear every day because Amazon literally does everything. And in this world right now, they are taking over. But, um, (laughs) and so I said, well, why Amazon? And they said, because it's Amazon. And I go, that's going to be a pretty terrible answer in an interview, you know, (laughs) like, oh, just because. And, um, and I go, well, you know, what is your favorite Amazon product? And they go, oh, the, I can't say her name because she'll talk, but the, the A word over there that will, uh, start chatting with me if I say it. Um, I've had that happen so many live streams. And so, um, I was like, the what? The, the, um, and, uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And so, um, I go, well, why that? And he goes, well, my background is in linguistics and I really love language and I'm now in software development and I, I love the overlap of language and software. I'm like, so you're not interested in Amazon. You're Im- interested in voice technology and yeah. there's thousands of companies that do that. So let's go down that path because you might not get into Amazon right away, but you can at least get into 
the Babblefish whatever company or something like that and find your way down that road for the next 30, 40 years of working on voice technology. And that I think is such a better view of where do you want to work, that question that comes up. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? No, sorry, I got really excited while you're talking about it because one, I got chills when you said that um, because I think that moment, that unlocking moment where someone goes, oh, right, I like it because of this. That's the conversation, right? Like that's what people want to talk about and that's what grows your career. That's where you become super successful. But I think there's like this, um, this interesting moment when people connect or when people um, converse about stuff where, especially with a, if it's with a stranger, if you're not comfortable talking about the things that you love or the things that you um, get excited about or the things that you geek out about, you try to keep your composure. And mm -hmm. by keeping your composure, you might not say all the things that you're interested in. So you might just say, well, I want to work at Amazon because it's Amazon, because that's what everyone says, right? It's a simple answer. It's an easy answer. It's um, a nice way to like, it's like when you ask someone, how's your day? And you say, right. it's going well, but you don't really mean it's going well. There's like a million other things you could say. It's the same concept. But when you teach people to dig into the things that are driving them and their interest in that, it changes everything. And it's amazing what they can find. Like what you said, you might not end up working on Alexa. You might end up working with some other company that does similar technologies. You might find your dream company or a version of your dream company by doing that. Like by just focusing on that piece and talking about that piece comfortably and getting excited and geeking out and being okay with the fact maybe a little bit goofy when you geek out like that's where people connect that's where we like love to talk absolutely and you know, and it and it brings and it brings up this other point here of like when you're going out and you're talking to companies like you want to be energetic and excited right so you do need to chase those things that excite you but people worry right they worry that um by limiting myself, by having a fo any focus at all, by mm -hmm. focusing on anything, um, I'm limiting my options. And, you know, the kind of joke response is, well, you chose a, this education, so that limited you to being a doctor, right? right? And so you're already doing it. Why stop now? And um, that, that sort of like feeling of it's going to be too small of a category, right? But you talked mm. about deep sea fishing as a category, <laughs> right? How much smaller could you get, right? right. And so this, this idea, I think, is really important for folks to understand of like, there are a lot of companies working on every single issue. Like, let's yeah. say your most interesting thing that you're interested in is like, um, God, I wanted to come up with a, a brilliant example off the top of my head and I didn't. But um, we're going to pause that that little tangent <laughs> I was about to go on because I, I want to bring up this other question that's been on my mind, which is culture. Mm. The other thing that I see limiting people's ability to move forward with mm -hmm. any part of their job search is uh, you know, the same way they would say, I don't want to reach out to that person because I'm not, I'm, I'm not excited to meet them yet, um, is... I, I want to find a company that has a great culture. Right. And I hear that and I go, what in God's name do you mean? I have no That's clue what that means. It's like, okay. I understand that you don't want to be in a toxic culture. That makes sure. sense. But what do you mean you want to be in a place with a good culture? Because no matter who you ask, if you mm -hmm. go in and you say at the end of the interview, what's the culture like here? Everyone's going to go, it's great, because who's going to say it's crappy on a right. job interview? Right. So what do you say when people are so focused on culture instead of, 
you know, interest or, or this geeking yeah. outside of things? I mean, we have to name it, right? Like we have to name, what does that even mean? Like to your, to your point, you say, what does that, what does that mean? I ask the same question. What does good culture mean to you? Because it means something different for everyone. We all have a different definition of what we want out of the working environment. Um, the people that we work with, the problems that we're solving or not solving, the autonomy that we have, the environment, everything, everything impacts good, right? So the, the goal there is to help people understand, you know, step one was what are your interests? What do you geek out about? How do we get them excited about the things that they love in life in general and then work, work around it? The second part of that is to help them then do the same exercise, a little bit different for the people they're going to be interacting with and um, how they want to spend their days. I, for one, um, will not commute. I will, I just don't commute. I grew up in a small town and everything was 30 minutes away and I hate it. I love long drives. I love road trips. I do not commute. So when I was looking for full-time jobs, that was a deal breaker for me. That would impact my happiness at work and the way that I showed up. That might seem silly to a lot of people. I don't care. That's my deal breaker. And I think people, um, not everyone can, can make all of like, it's like buying a house. You have your must-haves, your deal breakers, and then you have your nice-to-haves, right? Like you have to compromise. And it's the same when you're thinking about personalities. It's the same when you're thinking about do you have the flexibility to work from home whenever you want to? Like all of these things are, are like added into the, the generalization of good culture. It's not just about people, but um, yeah, like you can say, I don't want to work with assholes, but like, again, what does that mean too? Like, yeah. Yeah. So especially because so, you can join a team and it can change. Like I know someone, I was talking to someone the other day yep. and they're like, I joined the team because the CEO used to work for Disney. And then he left a week after I joined. And I was like, that's going to happen. So yeah. maybe make your decisions based on some other criteria. Yeah, that's a good point. Someone told me at one point in my career, um, I was having a really hard time leaving a job that I knew I needed to leave uh, because I loved all the people that I worked with. And someone said, you know, you can't, you can't make your career decisions based on the, just solely the people that you work with because everyone will make a decision to leave at some point. And, and when that one person leaves, it changes the entire dynamic yeah. of the, of like that culture and that family. So you can't make all of your decisions to stay or go based on the people. And that's, Absolutely. that's hard to say, but it's true. And, and just to put a little pin in that point, um, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't think about it at all. I think when you're oh, networking no. with people, it's good to gauge, not to ask them the culture question. Cause I just think you never get a good answer, but no. to just be like, what do you like most about your job? And what do you struggle most with? Those two questions will tell you everything you need to know. And if yeah. they go off about how much they hate their coworkers, either that person's toxic or the environment is probably one you want to avoid. And so really good things to keep in mind. And so when, let's say someone does this, right? They go, oh, wow, I figured out what industries I'm interested in or categories or whatever the thing might be. Mm -hmm. um, but it is so far away from what I've done in the past. My skills don't match up. Um, how do you help people figure out that connection of taking their old skills and relating them? Because I think the key thing that people hear is you don't have enough experience, and which is just a lazy excuse for we don't have an answer. But um, we kind of get that feeling, right? So how do you help people transfer those skills or talk about those skills in a new way? Yeah. Um... <sighs> 
it's, it's neat because like when, when you get talking about competencies, skills, abilities, and knowledges, um, it really unlocks a lot of things and empowers people to be confident in what they have to offer other folks. So if we go back to our earlier conversation about being competent and having um, the ability to look at yourself as, as a business going after another business, it's similar. Um, I was working with someone yesterday actually about um, how to look at their past experience. They've been all over the place, right? They, they've worked in restaurants, they've worked in um, heavy equipment, they've worked in a sales department for a large tech company, they've worked um, at a, a, a fishing dock, like, I mean, like, you name it, they've done the things. And so going through that, um, he kept saying, I don't have skills to do what's hiring right now. I don't, I don't have the skills, like, I would need to go back to school, or I would need a certification, and I need a job now. And so we were like, okay, but like, let's talk through what you've done in all these things. Like stop talking about the tasks and start thinking about how you showed up and what was the value that you provided. And what we got out of it, he's an amazing leader. He's great at communicating. He's great at training. Um, people love him. People continue to hire him back because they, they love the way that they, and he interacts with customers and with other staff members, no matter what industry he's been in, it's been the same feedback. So helping him understand that he can take those skills and apply them to a customer service role. He can apply them to a sales role. Like there's a reason he was able to work in heavy equipment and at a, a sales department for a large, like top fortune 500 tech company. Like that, those are important things to be able to see that you're that flexible. So um, it is challenging. There's no easy answer. I mean, there's tools out there like skills engine. I don't know if you've used that before. Um, it pulls from some dated information, but it decodes jobs and highlights the skills that someone would have in those jobs. So it'll show you if you throw your resume in, it'll show you that you have like critical thinking and um, that you have empathy and that you have leadership skills. And those are really important terms to start learning how to talk about, whether you're talking about them in person or on your resume. Um, it also helps the job seeker to build confidence in talking about themselves. I think that's one of the, the big like um, connection pieces, right? Like if you have confidence, you connect better. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't have an easy answer for you other than like being able to talk about those transferable skills and, and being able to see where they could line up with another job and why a company would care that you have a detail, um, an eye for detail, or you have the ability to manage a lot of things in a fast paced environment or that, you have empathy and leadership skills. Like, so what if you don't have a subject matter expertise? They can teach you that piece of it, right? But like these other pieces are harder to teach. Yeah, so often the technical piece, even if you've developed it on your own, is gonna be retrained once you get into the role. Yeah. Even as like a career coach, they're like, this is our way of doing resumes. And I'm like, all right, cool, let's adjust. And right. like, you know, I've been doing resumes for years. And so these, these, these more soft skills, I think, are really important to call out because um, they're not just helpful for the job, right? They're helpful for the job search. And one of the things that I try and help people understand is that you're not, you're not learning these things to get this job. You're learning these things so that you never have to look for a job again. Right. Like this that process is... You. Yeah, this process is painful. Wouldn't you love if you weren't doing this at the age of 60? Like... Yeah. 
it'd be great. And so yeah. um, that was one of the things that I learned early on, which was um, I was terrible at interviewing. I was terrible <laughs> at networking. I like was so scared to hit enter on an email that my friend had to hit it once. And like, oh. I know. And, and, and this, I realized that this anxiety was always going to get in the way if I didn't overcome it, if I didn't figure out a way to deal with it. And, you know, usually you end up teaching what you struggled with the most. And, and that's yeah. true for me. And so I'm kind of curious, as you've gone through your career, what have been the moments where you've had like a huge shift in your responsibilities where you went from like, I'm learning these things to now this is what I do, or you became a leader or something like that. Is there a moment in your career that stands out of like, I figured it out and what was happening around that time? I don't know. I, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I think the only ind indicator is that people ask for help or advice instead of me asking for help and advice, which I still ask a lot of for As like, a should. lot of advice. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how to answer this question other than like, I think when you're, when you take that shift from doing to, I guess, leadership, and I don't know if that's fully like the right question, but that's what we're going to go with. Yeah. Um, Cause that's where my mind went while I was thinking about your question. So I think in that shift, what changes is that you're not focused so much on the little individual tasks and how they solve that project. You're thinking on a much wider scale. So you're like zooming out and you're looking at the big picture and you're looking at your impact in the company overall. So long-term, what is the impact of this work that I'm doing? Um, I think before that I was really looking on a short-term thing where something didn't work. It felt like the end of the world. Um, I am 100% a perfectionist that really struggles with failure. Um, I know that about myself and that's probably why I teach a lot of on the fear of failure. So um, because of that, it was a big blocker for me in my career in elevating into a leadership role. I think I naturally always wanted to help people and had a lot of empathy and could see how people work together, but I couldn't quite get to that position because if something didn't work in the way that I saw it in like a small frame, um, I struggled to get over it and I struggled to get past it. So when I had a mentor like work with me on being able to step back and see the big picture, um, that was really what unlocked it for me. And I think for a lot of people that I've worked with, it's similar, um, that hump to get over the tasks and the thing that like the list of to do's and being able to see more about people interaction and um, theories and strategy and, and how then you can break that down is maybe that shift. But I don't know if that fully answers your question. That's well, just where I went with it. I think to your point, um, you know, I'm not the best, world's best interviewer and that wasn't a good question. And so I appreciate <laughs> your answer to it uh, because no, but like even as you, you know, I was asking that question, I realized I wasn't quite sure where it was going. I was like, Ooh, am I going to have to cut this one out? But you <laughs> answered it so well, I'm going to leave it in. And I think it's okay. a good example of like real time quote unquote failures, right? And, and I think that that's such a, a fun thing to think about because so often these failures that we experience aren't huge. They're really small, right? Like, right. like asking a question in an ambiguous or tough to understand way. And, and let's just port this over to the job search. You're in an interview, right? Mm -hmm. And you get asked a question and you don't know the answer. Mm. There's a lot of ways to respond, right? <laughs> yep. The typical way is to freeze up 
Get that mm-hmm. frog in your throat and have no mm-hmm. clue what to do from there. Mm-hmm. The best possible way to respond, or at least one of the many possible ways to respond, is to say, hmm, I don't know the answer to that. And either think about it or right. go home and research it and follow up with a great follow-up. There's a, a ton of ways right. you can respond. Um, and I try so hard to help people find the amusement in the mm-hmm. process versus mm-hmm. the anxieties in the process of of being like, rather than being like, well, that interview went, uh, was terrible and I'm a worthless human being and all these other things, going, that was funny. Wow, <laughs> that really went bad. <laughs> well, and like, laughing. Like, move on, right? Yeah. Like, but that move on piece is hard. Okay, so I, I'm pretty sure you were going somewhere with it and I'm cutting you off for a second just Go. because I need to add that I have this really amazing mentor and woman that I work with who teaches applied improv for business. And that has changed everything for me too. Um, I think I float between this world of I'm funny on accident and I'm too serious. And so I have a hard time too, like looking at a situation going, huh, that was really funny. Okay, whatever. Let's move on. I've gotten better at it over the years. (laughs) Working with her has changed everything for me because in all of her exercises, she'll say, if you fail, just high five each other and laugh about it. And, and like, it makes me laugh every time that I screw up in a webinar or in a speech or in a workshop or working with someone one-on-one. I'm like, why did I say that? That was so stupid. <laughs> but, but now I'm able to laugh about it. And, and I, I wish that everyone got that experience, right? Like, I think it's, so, it's more so of a, I wish we taught that. Like, I wish that that was something that we had ingrained in us from childhood, that it is funny to make a mistake and it is okay to make a mistake. And we all say dumb things all the time, all the time. Like um, Seth Godin had a blog post a couple months ago that was, we talk all the time um, and we make a lot of mistakes, but we refuse to write because we're afraid of writing something wrong. Mm. So maybe we should either stop talking or we should write more. And I thought it was so clever and it, it made me laugh because I'm like, you're right, we should all just stop talking more. But um, or like think more about what we talk about, but we're not going to, we're going to keep talking and we're going to keep saying stupid things. Um, and that's how we learn, right? We get feedback every time we say something. So if you're in an interview and you say something stupid and you don't get the job because of it, then you probably shouldn't have had that job anyway, right? Like if they can't laugh at something that you said wrong, or they can't ask you about something that you said wrong, or you don't get the opportunity to follow up about it, then how would that have worked out in your environment yeah. long-term? Yeah. And we've all been in environments like that where you're walking on eggshells at work and it's incredibly difficult, right? Versus, you know, a manager that's like, yeah, we all screw up, but hey, don't do it again. But like, we get it. Um, It actually, it reminds me of something that happened this morning. So I do a daily live stream and speaking of Seth Godin's thing, which is we mess up a lot when we talk. I'm always worried about putting my foot in my mouth uh, because I can't edit it the way I do these. And Uh not that I edit these much, but Um, one of the funny things that happened this morning, uh, is someone joined and they were very active in the comments. Like they commented a few things and then I critiqued something on their profile and then they disappeared and deleted their comments. And I was like, uh Oh, did I just do something mean? Like I thought I was being really kind and whatever. And, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm reading into it too much. There's all sorts of things, right? That's what we do. But what's so funny is that that person disappeared and then someone else sent me an email saying that was the best live stream yet. Please do more. I can't wait to like meet you in person someday. And it's funny how like you want everyone in the job search is trying to walk this middle line where they are 
not offending anyone and not having an opinion on anything and not being committed to anything, being totally fluid. Like, you know, you know, like, uh, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say there, but, but we need to have an opinion. Like, like your client who was like, I really would not like to work at, let's say a bank or something, because that's not what I believe is the right right thing to do. We need to have some sort of a strong opinion for them to even remember that we were in the room, right? And so how have you sort of seen that? Have you seen folks like really start to own their opinions in this process? And and has it gotten to them in trouble or is it always kind of worked out for them? Um, I mean, I'm not having any that really pop up that have gotten them in trouble necessarily. Rejection, yeah, like lots of rejection. The more opinionated we are and the more we show ourselves, the more we're going to face rejection. But that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. As I said earlier, like that's actually you weeding out the things that you would not enjoy working in or the jobs that you wouldn't want long-term. And, you know, like I hate this comparison. I think we've talked about this before, but it's like dating, right? Like sometimes you go through all the wrong people to get to the right person or one of the right people. um, And you have to stand up for the things that you want. Otherwise, like you're not yourself. And you, you don't get to show yourself. You don't get to bring yourself to work or to relationship or to whatever you're doing. Sports, same thing, right? Um, and ultimately, that means that you're not happy and you're not going to be successful. So it is a hard process to get someone to that point where they're comfortable speaking up and being honest about who they are and honest about their opinions. It, I mean, it's hard for leaders. Like mm-hmm. job seekers think it's just them in that role that, is like trying to perform, Um, but it's leaders too, right? Like they don't want to be caught as a fraud or they don't want to be caught not knowing something that maybe one of their employees knows more about. But the reality is, is when we're a little bit more honest about what we care about or what we do and don't know, that's where we're able to do more with the work. We're able to do more as a team. We're able to be happier at work because we're not hiding so much or covering. And it doesn't work out all the time. Like I had one student who, um, I say students because I worked at a, at two different I never know what to call people. (laughs) I know. It's so bad. I shouldn't say that. Um, And and I still work with them, you know, five years later, occasionally when I'm not in like working there anymore. Right. So weird. I'll stop calling them students. People. I worked with this individual and uh, he he had a job interview, everything was going really well. And the last, the last interview was with, I don't know that it was the CEO, but it was one of the head bosses. And like, he was kind of a jerk and he was really rude to the other women who were in the room. Um, he was very dismissive of the guy that he was interviewing. Either way, at the end, he got an offer. The offer was much lower than he was expecting. He still really liked the work that the company did. So he countered and his counter wasn't crazy. Like it was like 10% more, which is what you would typically expect a counter offer to be. Mm-hmm. And um, the company just straight up like rescinded the offer. What? Yeah. Like didn't talk about it. Nothing. This is one in, out of all of all of the people I've worked right. with that's ever happened like this. Dodge a bullet. And there were a couple things like after we talked about it that we kind of like picked up on. And in that last interview, there were a couple of times that the head boss was rude and the guy kind of interjected to kind of like ease the situation. Um, and so he probably deflated his boss's ego, right? Like he probably made the boss not feel great. 
And even though he was doing the right thing in trying to create a better environment, he still felt like he didn't stand up for the other people in the room as much as he could have, but he felt like the power dynamic kept him from doing that. But like, these are real scenarios that happen in everyday situations, not just in interviews. And so like, if it's gonna happen in an interview and you do a thing that you don't even feel like is your full self and you got rejected, um, like you got the job, you counter offered, and then it got rescinded without even a conversation, that feels really crappy in that moment, but I guarantee you in a couple months, you're going to look back and go, thank God I did not get that job. Mm-hmm. Right? Thank God that did not work out. Um, and that should be a moment where you go, I don't want to work there because I couldn't even be myself and it didn't stand for what I care about. So like, those are other things. And, and I, like, I get it that when you're in, in the moment and if you really need a job, that's not a great feeling. But um, I think the job search goes faster Maybe faster is not the right word, but it can go faster when you're really narrow focused and, and like, or laser focused in the things that you want out of a situation, the offerings that you have for them and the value that you can provide and that you can be a little more true to yourself and authentic, that word that we all love, but we don't always do. Um, it allows you to like find those other people that you actually can connect with and, and do those things with. Yeah. And I love that you brought leadership into it too, because, um, We've, you know, the, a lot of people, the majority of people have worked for a leader that's wishy-washy or a flip-flopper mm-hmm. where every day you come in and you're like, I don't know what this person wants me to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they come to you and they're I'm like, we've, we, oh yeah, froze. we're, we're frozen a little bit. Yeah. So we've all worked for a boss or, or chances are we've all worked for a boss who has been non-committal or flip-floppy or whatever it might be. And I think non-committal is, is probably the worst, right? You go to your boss, yeah. you need an answer so you can move forward with something. And they go, well, I don't know. What do you think? And they kind of like hem and haw and never give an answer and never commit to anything. And that is bad leadership, right? Like you right. need to have a leader that is confident in the direction that you're headed so you know what to do, right? And And there's this spectrum that I see of people who have who are lacking confidence. So mm-hmm. that's the end, the bottom end of the spectrum, people who have the right amount of confidence and then people who are cocky and we don't want to fall into that uh-huh. cocky camp. And I think so many people fear confidence because they think confidence is cocky. But right. the truth is they're not even close to confident yet. They're at like right. undercutting their own abilities. Like, and so, you know, saying things like, I just graduated from, I'm new to this area, I'm blah, blah, blah. Like saying those things and then trying to make a pitch. It's like, I started my business today. Would you like to hire me? It's like, no, I want to work with the people who have the results. And, right. and so we, most people are constantly underselling themselves or undercutting their pitch. And I'm just trying to get them to confident. But then you get those people that are just a little, like I work with a lot of salespeople, just a little too much on the other side and we got to tamper it down, a little humility in mm-hmm. there too. And I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that spectrum and, and what you think helps people go from underselling themselves or undercutting their own pitch to getting to that, like just here's what I do and I'm confident in it. Um, practice, right? Like in coaching, helping them be able to see that. But um, I also like to remind people that they don't like working for someone that's wishy-washy, right? It's, it's really hard to make hard decisions. Um, it's hard to tell someone no. It's hard to tell someone they're wrong. It's hard to tell someone that they're not working out and you got to let them go, right? But it's the right thing to do because it's right for everyone. It's not just right for you as a leader. It's right for the person that you're letting go 
because they don't, they, they are suffering and everyone on the team is suffering. Um, there's a woman that I worked with who I just absolutely adore. And she is this brilliant human who, when she looks at a problem, like I can see it. She's like deconstructing it in her mind, um, like a transformer, you know, like just like pulling out the pieces and then putting it together in a way that it did not belong in, in the first place, but like now is way cooler and you could have never imagined it. She was on a team that was not like that. The team was, uh, let's make a product. Let's make a project. Let's answer the questions. And they just were fast paced. And like, once you made it, it was done onto the next thing. Right. And, but like you had to do it really well the first time around. And she just didn't belong on that team because not because she wasn't good enough, but because it was the wrong match. Like she, she's excellent. And, and what she couldn't see was that by her staying there and her boss, this was the other piece, the boss kept trying to make it work for her, kept mm. trying to like, um, cause I was coaching both. So the boss was like, we've had so many conversations. We've put her on a pip. We like, we've done all these things and she just isn't working. And I'm like, it's been a year. You two need to agree to separate because this is hurting the team. It's hurting you as a leader and it's hurting her. She could be doing something else that's way more um, relevant for her skill set and more impactful for the world if she was doing that thing. But you all have to decide to leave. So if you can, rem- if you can remind other people, and she did, by the way, and then she got this really incredible job where she was, she applied to be an intern and then ended up getting a manager, um, an engineer manager role, like a project manager role. And it was the most amazing fit. It was incredible. But I think what people have to, to remember is when they report to a leader who doesn't give them direct feedback, that doesn't tell them yes or no, that doesn't give them any sort of like clear direction, it's frustrating. So they then should also represent that, right? Like they need to, to draw a line in the sand um, and say yes or no. And, and it's not always black and white. It's also collaborative, right? Like get all, all the different people's opinions and feedback and um, interests and then um, help all of everything work together. But being confident enough to say, this is what we're going to do. And this is what I offer the team is a really, really, really important place to get in your career. But it's also hard. It's like, I'm not going to understate that. Like that takes time. It takes the right people in your life. It takes getting coaching. It takes like getting reinforcement that you're great because you probably are great at whatever you do, or maybe you need to get a little bit better. But I hope that answers your question. It really does. It really does. And it makes me think about, um, you know, this idea of if you want to have it, you have to first live it. You have to prove it to yourself before you can get it from others. And, you know, they say that about relationships all the time, right? If you don't love yourself, how are you going to possibly have enough energy to give what you need to in a relationship, right? And the same thing goes with work, right? If you want to work at a company with a quote unquote great culture, you Mm -hmm. should probably understand specifically what you bring to that culture. And I'm not saying I'm a great collaborator. I'm, I work well on teams. Those don't mean anything. That's not an answer. That's not an actual thing that provides value. And so um, I love what you're saying there. And I think we do need to live it first before mm-hmm. we can get it somewhere else. And, and we can do that quickly, micro in micro experiments sure. in our own work, working with a coach and things like that. And um, I wanted to go into a thing about improv, but we'll pause that for another conversation. <laughs> um, I love improv so much. So It's so fun. It's such a, wait, I'll just plug it real yes, quick. Yes, please. Because I was super shy. I'm very, very shy in certain situations. 
Um, but improv is amazing at helping you think on your feet, respond, practice active listening, and be a little bit more confident. I was not the biggest like supporter of it, but doing it more and more, it makes you a way better leader, interviewer, interviewee, all the things. I'll just like plug it there. Yeah, it forces you to make decisions. The worst yeah. possible um, interview or uh, improv partner is someone who comes out and doesn't have an opinion. Um, uh -huh. And that's something you learn like day one, where if two people walk into a scene, so we're gonna nerd out about improv yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, so if two people walk part. into a scene and the other person goes, so who are you? That's the worst opening ever because you stand there and you go, I don't know, man, you make a decision, right? And so, but if someone comes in and goes, uh, hello, son, you're like, I'm this person's son. I know exactly how to respond. And it right. forces you to make commitments. And that's one thing that's really taught a lot beyond the whole yes and and everything like that. And I love this idea of like making strong decisions in order to move things forward. And I remember when I did improv at IO in Chicago, um, the day that I had to play a cow who got milked was the day I realized that there's never going to be an interview or workshop or talk that I give that will ever be this embarrassing. And I can basically wing everything the rest of my life. You're like set after that. Totally set. <laughs> it's like, this has been the weirdest thing I've ever done in front oh of a room of people. Um, so I want to give my seven takeaways from our conversation today. And then we're going to open it up for you to share where folks can find you. So my seven takeaways here are number one, companies don't hire until there's a need. So you need to understand the need. A lot of needs in that sentence. Number two, it's not personal. It's business which is one that's come up in previous podcasts and so important to keep in mind, but hard to live out. Um, number three, separate your identity from the job title. Number four, think of yourself as a freelancer or a business owner. Uh, number five, start with your interests outside of work in order to find what you're authentically interested in and therefore find your authentic self. Number six, don't job search, make friends. And number seven, zoom out to see the whole picture and understand your impact. Leah, I've absolutely enjoyed having you on the podcast here. I know these are going to be so helpful for the folks in our community looking to build their careers right now. Where can they find you and follow along with what you're doing online? First, I want to say this has been a blast. It's always so much fun um, to catch up with you and chat about all the career things. Um, but they can find me on LinkedIn. So my name is spelled L-I-A, Leah, and last name is James, like Jamestown, Virginia. <laughs> um, that's in Virginia and that's the easiest reference I'm going to give. And I was made fun of that for, made fun of for that at one point. They can find me on LinkedIn, Leah James, L-I-A-J-A-M-E-S. Um, I'm on all the other social media channels too, but I don't post a lot about work on Instagram. I just do a lot of retweeting on Twitter, but you're more than welcome to find me there as well. You're just going to find more of my work on uh, LinkedIn and, and um, advice and stuff there. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, helping people find better careers and become better leaders. And I'm so excited uh, to stay in touch and, and talk to you again in the future. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Martin. Have a good one.